You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4 if you would. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be at. Uh, we're continuing our uh, series entitled Alive Together. We're just going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We find ourselves uh, today at the end of Ephesians chapter number 4. If you missed any of the message so far in this series, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecala.org. We actually put a brand new coat of paint on our website this week. It's nice and shiny, so go check that out uh, if you would. Uh, you can always get caught up at our podcast. Subscribe to that on your phone or your tablet. We also have a smartphone uh, app and tablet the uh, app for your tablet or your phone you can download and stay caught up that way. Whatever you do, stay on top of these messages. I promise you they'll help you as you walk with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, we find ourselves today. Uh, we uh, took a look at the first three chapters of Ephesians. They're very heavy doctrinally. They explain a lot who uh, Christ is, why we need Christ, who we are without Christ, who we are with Christ. Um, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are very practical in nature. Now that you know who you are in Christ, here's how that should change your life. And, and so we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of that today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start uh, in verse number... Let's just say verse number 13. We'll start there and we'll go all the way through the end of the chapter. Uh, stay with me as we read through this uh, passage of scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter four, starting verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Verse 13 tells us this, your job, our goal as a church is to be like Jesus. We want to help you to mature in your knowledge of the Bible, mature in your knowledge of Jesus so that you can live a life like Jesus. And that's a pretty tall order. Verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him into all things, which is ahead even to Christ. Verse 16, whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase into the body and to the edifying of itself in love. In other words, we as the body of Christ must all work together so that Jesus' name can be lifted up. Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Verse 17 says that we as Christ followers should be different. Our lives should point people to Jesus, instead of being self-centered and selfish, our lives should be distinct. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work on uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard of him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. We took a look at this last week that you put off concerning the former conversation or the old way you used to live, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, verses 25 through 32 go on to tell us what it looks like when we put off the old man, we become renewed in our mind, and we put on the new man. What does that actually look like for us? How does that practically work out in our lives? Verses 25 through the end of the chapter will tell us that. 
Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I don't like rules. It just, uh, it just goes against my nature of who I am. I don't like people to tell me what to do. Uh, I'm a, my wife would tell you that I'm bullheaded and stubborn, although I don't agree with that. Um, uh, but, uh, and I and unfortunately begin to see those same character traits passed down to my children as well, so they must be genetic. Um, so, but I, I, I don't like so much rules and regulations. It's funny, I had, uh, served on staff with the, at a church in a Christian college for some time, and it seemed like the rule book for the college grew every year. As people would break more rules, would have to make more rules and uh, things like that. And just it was a never-ending list of things. And I, 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 I almost uh, buck up against rules. If somebody tells me that I can't do it, I want to do it. If somebody tells me that I, I need to yield, that I want to go before anybody else gets there. Is anybody else like that? You see the yield sign, that means you should stop and hang back and see if anybody else needs to go. Me, I like to look and see, can I make it in front of you before you actually make it out? I just don't like, just something in me, against me, is rebellious by nature. And I know you have it too, and it's called sin. A sin is inside of us all just want to do our own thing and go our own way. And our sin has broken our relationship with God. It's messed us up. And in our flesh, that rebellion that just wants to do its own thing and knows what's best uh, will get us in trouble every single time. The Bible says God's given us clear guidelines as far as what he expects from us, and you and I have broken his rules time and time again. You and I have sinned against God, and God gives us rules not to show us exactly how to live our lives. God gives us rules to show us how badly we need him. In other words, the rules of the Bible weren't given to you necessarily uh, for you to keep each and every one of them to uh, make sure that you live a fruitful life. They were given to you to show you that you are not good in and of yourself, that you cannot keep all of God's rules, you cannot keep all of God's law. You will at some point break them because you are a sinner and you've sinned against the holy God. And you and I find God's rules and we look at that and we go, oh, I don't really care for that so much. But... When we break God's law, there's always a price that must be paid. I was talking with some folks uh, this past week, and I said, uh, if you park out in, in the, on the front of the street uh, out here and you don't put money in the meter and someone comes by and they write you a ticket, the ticket for that is $35. How do I know that? <laughs> if you are not parked in one of those, but you're parked in a red zone or a fire lane or a loading zone, and they come by and write you a ticket, that ticket is $55 as opposed to $35. So if you're ever looking for a cheap place to park and you're looking for a lesser parking ticket, park in a space as opposed to a loading zone, okay? Loading zone, $55. Parking space, $35. It's a lot easier just to take a couple of quarters and put them in the parking meter, but who's got time for that, right? Uh, but how do I know that it's $55 to park in a loading zone? Because I've gotten a ticket for that. I broke the law and I had to pay the price for the law that I'd broken. <laughs> 
My wife, uh, one time, had gone in the HOV lane, uh, bringing her kids back from school in Milani, and she was driving back into town and driving the HOV lane. And she found that that sign that says 55 miles an hour is not for the HOV lane. It's 45 in the HOV lane. How did she find that out? Because there was a man that stopped her that let her know what the speed limit was. And we had a price that had to be paid uh, for not knowing what the speed limit was in the HOV lane. You see, you break the law, you pay the price. God is no different. You break God's law, you pay the price. But the price with God is not $25, $35. It's not a court appearance where you get let off. The price that you pay for your sin is death. You died because of your sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, verse number 23, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all of us are guilty before God. If there was a court appearance to show up, we don't need a lawyer to plead our case because God's already determined ahead of time you're guilty. And the penalty of your sin, according to Romans chapter six, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. It doesn't just mean you're gonna die one day physically. We'll all die one day physically. But there's coming after that a spiritual death where because of your sin, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. Revelation chapter 20 says this is the second death. That's bad news. I don't care how you slice it. So if you and I show up in a courtroom and God is the righteous judge, he says, you're guilty and the price that you must pay is death and after that, a second death in hell for all of eternity. That's bad news. But the good news is God, the righteous judge says, I can't just let you off. I can't dismiss the charges against you. They still must be paid, but I will allow someone else to pay for you. So that sounds like a good idea. Well, who's gonna pay that price for me? You see, you can't pay my price because you owe God something as well. I can't pay your price because I owe something God to God myself. A church cannot pay your way. Good works cannot pay your way. It must be one who has never sinned. One who has kept all of God's law perfectly that can stand in your place and pay the price for your sin. And his name is Jesus. Jesus came, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He died on the cross for one reason and one reason only, to pay for my sin and to pay for yours. This church cannot pay for your sin. Baptism cannot wash away your sin. The only thing that can save you is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, because I'm a rule breaker, because I'm a rebel, because I rebel against God and his rules, I owe God a great debt that I could not pay. But I have accepted the payment that Jesus has made on my behalf, and you must do the same. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You will stand before God and I will not be there with you to plead your case. And honestly, there's not enough evidence that you could pull out that would plead the case for you. The only thing that you can hope for is that your sin be paid by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It's as simple as putting your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only hope that you have for eternity and even for this life as well as in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you know for sure that you are saved? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? If not, please don't leave here today without knowing 100% sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. So after we are forgiven from being lawbreakers, do we still have to follow God's rules? Here's the great thing about following Jesus. Following Jesus is not meeting a list of criteria or rules that you have to follow. We don't give you a handbook after you follow Jesus and say, hey, keep all of these rules here and you'll be okay. God's given us his word, which is not a rule book, it's a guidebook. It gives you guidelines. 
And today in this passage of scripture, God is not so much giving us rules that we have to follow. He's giving us a code to adhere to. You see, there's a difference. It's not a matter of following rules. It's a matter of adopting a code that I'm going to live by for the rest of my life. I had the opportunity to serve for six years in the United States Navy, which is the world's finest Navy. Uh, and uh, in that, we learned core values of honor, courage, and commitment. And those are the things that guided us. And regardless of what the rules were, we were to live by honor, courage, and commitment. God, by the same token, has a code of conduct for us to live by. And it's kind of spelled out in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter four here. Starting in verse 25, Paul gives us a code of conduct to live by. And it's interesting, every single one of these things that Paul talks about deal with our relationships with other people. He's already talked about earlier how when we become a follower of Jesus, everything from the inside out changes. And and we are to be distinct, different than everybody else. And he says, here's some areas where we will be different. Here's some ways that you used to live, you're not gonna do that anymore. Here's some things that you used to be involved with, you're not gonna be involved in those anymore. Here's what you're gonna do instead. These aren't rules to follow, this is a code to live by. So I'm entitled today's message, The Code of the Disciple. If you make a commitment to be a committed follower of Jesus, these are some guidelines that you live by. These are some things that you adopt into the way that you live your life. These are some things that will guide you, guiding principles that will carry you for the rest of your life And these, every single one of these are relational in nature. Because when I become a follower of Jesus, it changes my relationship between me and my wife. When I become a follower of Jesus, it changes my relationship between me and my kids. When I become a follower of Jesus, it changes my relationships with my coworkers, with my friends, with my neighbors that drive me nuts, with the person who uh, drives too slow in the passing lane. It changes my relationships with everybody because Jesus changes everything. You see, earlier in this passage, he said, I want you to put off the old man, be renewed, and put on the new man. It's not a matter of just kind of cleaning up your act a little bit. It's not just trying to be the best version of yourself. It's a matter of doing away with the old way that you were and finding a new way of living. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, the term disciple just means a committed follower of Jesus. And if you commit to following Jesus, it'll change every area of your life. I didn't say commit to attending church because there are people who attend church that are not disciples of Jesus. They show up once a week on a Sunday morning, they sing some songs, they hear a message, they go home and nothing changes. That's not a disciple. A disciple, everything changes for them every day of the week. And Sunday is just a good kick in the pants and a good reminder of what you need to be doing and to help you stay on track. Sunday's an opportunity to get together with other believers and fellowship and love one another and care for one another and help one another. That's just the icing on the cake. It's not the cake. Being a disciple of Christ will change your life in ways that you can't even fathom. And that's where the good stuff is found. As we look at the code of the disciple this morning, we see, first of all, in verse number 25, we speak the truth for lies are more destructive. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We speak the truth because lies are more destructive. In counseling as a pastor, one of the most difficult things that I have to do is trying to find out where the truth lies because nobody wants to tell the truth. Oh, pastor, we're just coming to get some help in our marriage because, uh, uh, you know, we, we just need help communicating. Okay, great. And then we dig a little bit deeper and we find out uh, some other problems have happened. We dig a little bit deeper and find out people haven't been being honest. We dig a little bit deeper and find out there's a lot of sin that needs to be dealt with and taken care of. Uh, n- no doubt, no one likes to admit the fact that they've been wrong. 
No one likes to uh, be 100% honest when it paints them in a negative light. But the Bible says that we are people of truth. We tell the truth. We're gonna put away all lying and dishonesty. We're not gonna tell half-truths. We're not gonna tell truths that paint us in a positive light. We're gonna tell the truth. Uh, my wife and I were talking about uh, social media a couple of days ago, and we have this, both of us have this love-hate relationship with social media. I love social media because uh, all of your friends, you know exactly what they're doing at all times. You know what's going on in their lives. I hate social media because all of your friends, you know exactly what's going on in their life and what they're doing at any given time, right? I don't care about the fact that you just had the best sandwich of your life, okay? It does not matter to me. Uh, I don't care that everything in your life is perfect right now because I know that it's probably not. And there's so much uh, um, untruth when it comes to social media and so many things, ways that people paint themselves in such a positive light and don't wanna be honest. Now, granted, nobody's going to want to follow you on Instagram. All you do is complain. Uh, I've hidden many people like that. Uh, but uh, the idea is this, that we're not painting a picture of somebody that we're not. We're honest. We tell the truth. One of the things I love about our Wednesday Night Connect groups is we go around and we talk about praises, good things that God's done in our life. We talk about prayer requests that we got. And people say things like, hey, pray for me. I'm struggling with patience with my kids this week. I was ugly and I acted out in a way that I shouldn't and pray for me, I need to, to apologize to my kids. I love stuff like that because people are saying, I'm not okay and it's okay to not be okay all the time. Speaking the truth sets us free. Lies only clouds things. Did you know that sin only has power in our lives when we keep it in the dark? When we lie about it, make up stories to cover up our sin or to make our sin okay, it holds power over us and it smothers us. But when we expose our sin to the light, when we bring the truth out, the truth really has nothing to fear because the truth is always the truth. And when we can be honest about our lives and be honest with other people, we can bring the healing and restoration that we need in relationships. The Bible tells us that the devil is the father of all lies and lies are satanic. But when we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter four, verse number 15 says, speaking the truth in love. That means we're not ugly with the truth. For me, for the longest time, I'm, I'm a pretty black and white kind of guy. I just kind of say what's on my mind and I deal with the, the fallout later and that's a really an unhealthy thing, I'll admit for sure. But sometimes I would say things to people and I go, well, it's the truth and sometimes the truth hurts, right? That sounds really righteous, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not. I just wanted to be a jerk and I wanted to use the truth as a weapon against people. I wanted to hurt people with the weapon, uh, with the weapon of truth. I wanted people to see how right I was because I was, I was so telling the truth in that given moment. That's not how Christians act. Christians tell the truth in love. Christians say things like, hey, what I'm getting ready to say, I wanna make sure that I say it the right way because I don't wanna hurt you with what I say, but it's important that I tell you the truth. Hey, this, this might come across as being self-righteous and I don't mean it that way. I'm just telling you this because I love you and I care about you and I wanna share this with you. The way that we share truth makes all the difference in the world. The Bible says we share the truth in love. Next, we value trustworthiness, honor, and integrity. We do the right thing even when the right thing isn't popular. I was, uh, I was talking to our men a few weeks ago uh, at one of our men's leadership nights, and I said, uh, you know, I, guys, I need to confess my sin before you tonight. Room got real quiet. And I said, today, I was on the way back from taking my kids to school, and it was just me in the car by myself, and I made a decision to get in the HOV lane because nobody was in it. And I drove in the HOV lane by myself all the way home. And I kind of chuckled and laughed and stuff like that. And I go, I knew it was wrong and I did it anyways. I knew if I was on the lookout for police, too, I had my little Waze app open. I was looking for the little police along the way, right? <laughs> because I knew if I get caught in the HOV lane, it's a $250 fee. How do I know that? 
because I hate following rules, that's why. But I say to myself, look at all of this traffic and look at this lane that's wide open over here. Nobody's in it. This is the dumbest thing in the world. I've got places to go. I've got stuff to do. I've got a busy day, and the last thing I need to do is sit in traffic because somebody can't figure traffic in Hawaii out, for heaven's sakes. And there's an empty lane with nobody in it, and I'm just going to drive in that and hope that I don't get caught. You laugh about that, and it's not really that big of a deal. And that's the depths of my sinfulness. I think I'd be doing okay. Uh, but that's, not, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's an indication of a rebellious heart that knows what the rules are, but the rules don't apply to me. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to do it. I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't care. I just hope that I don't get caught. That's indicative of a deeper problem that we have. And most of us, we would say, if the worst sin we committed this week was driving in the HOV lane with one person in the car, we'd be doing okay, right? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. As followers of Jesus, we should value honor and integrity even when it's not the right thing, even when it's the right thing and it doesn't feel right. I'm gonna do what's right regardless of what the consequences are. I'm not gonna be shady. I'm not gonna be underhanded because I value integrity. I value honor. And please know this, if you have children, your children are watching. If you get something that you did not pay for at the store, your kids will know. And if you take it back and say, hey, I didn't pay for this. I need to, I ordered something online this week and they sent me two copies or two boxes of the exact same thing. And I sent an email and said, hey, I got a duplicate order. I need to send it back to you. Send me a return label. And they said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I'm totally serious. I need to send it back. Most people don't say when they get a duplicate order, so you can keep it. Well, great, now I've got two of something that I, can I return it now and get money back for it? I mean, I what can I do? I don't want two of the thing that I bought. I only wanted one of them, right? But they, they were just like, well, we don't know what to do. We're going to have to ask our supervisor. And they go wait from the phone forever. And it's just like, yeah, the supervisor said it's going to cost more for you to send it back to us than to just keep it. So just keep it. It's like, okay. And they're just like, most people don't tell us when they get stuff. Hey, I want to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Because I know that people are watching. And if I can make an excuse for my sin, and I can make an excuse for a lack of integrity, then, uh, then that's negative on the testimony of Christ. My wife knows the, uh, the unlock code on my phone. You know why? Because she can read through my text message anytime she wants to. You know why? Because I want to make sure that I'm above reproach. I want to make sure that I have integrity. That if I'm doing something I shouldn't do or saying something I shouldn't say, that she's going to call me out on that. Because we value integrity. We want to tell the truth in all things. Secondly, verses 26 and 27, we're in control of our anger and it does not cause us to sin. Verse 26 be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You see, it's not a sin to be angry. That's what this verse says. You can be angry, but don't sin when you do it. We should be angry at sin. We should be angry at situations. We can't be angry with other people and allow that bitterness to control us. Because you see, verse number 27, this says, neither give place to the devil. Friend, in your relationships, when you hang on to anger, you're letting the devil have a foothold in your life. And let me just say this. I got enough problems going on that I don't need the devil with a foothold in my life. I need to settle that. Uh, my dad, uh, 
I can probably name on one hand the number of times my dad raised my voice at me as a kid. He just gave me the look, right? He never had to say anything. Just the look was enough. You know you're in trouble. Knock it off. Get it over and done with. My dad was a funny guy because when my dad got angry, he would always get angry with things. And I remember uh, as a kid, seeing my dad, we had this, uh, I hated cutting the grass as a kid, hated cutting the grass. Uh, and so I would do things to sabotage the lawnmower and the weed eater so that I didn't have to, like, oh, the weed eater's out of string or it won't start or something like that. And this time I didn't sabotage it. I legitimately would just couldn't get it started. So I couldn't get the weed eater started. So I took it to my dad and He's messing with it. He checks the spark plug and uh, pumps the bulb and turns the choke on. He's pulling and pulling and pulling and he can't get it uh, started and everything. And if I live to be 100, I'll never forget this in my entire life. I see my dad take the, the weed eater by the handle with one hand like this and he starts making circles with it like this. And it gets faster and faster and then he slings it up against the concrete wall and it busts into a million pieces. And I was just like, yes, no weed eating today. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, yes, I never have to weed eat again. And he says, I'll be back. And went into town, 15 minutes later, came back with a brand new weed eater. And I was like, great. <laughs> but my dad never treated me that way. Man, I've seen him kick lawnmowers and throw chainsaws and weed eat. My dad always got mad at stuff, but he didn't get mad at people. But the idea is this. We need to be angry, but we can't allow our anger to control us. I have to be in control of the words that I say. I have to be in control of my emotions. I have to be in control of my actions because anger cannot rule us. James chapter one, verse number 19 says, wherefore my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You see, we get angry at sin and injustice. Every time I hear of sin, I'm angry about it. Every time I, I hear of a Christian getting involved in sin that they shouldn't, I get angry about it. And it's okay to be angry at sin. It's okay to be angry at injustice. It's okay to be angry at the way that the world treats people. It's okay to be angry at what uh, is happening to our society. I'm angry about the fact that uh, people can kill babies. And it's okay. And nobody bats an eye out. I'm angry at that. I'm angry that somebody can go into a store and buy a case of beer and get drunk and drive home and kill somebody and we give them 30 days in jail for it. I'm angry at that. That shouldn't be. I'm not angry at the person who did it. I'm angry at the way our system is set up. And it's okay to be angry with those things. When we cross the line is when we begin to take our anger out on people. When our anger begins to be directed at others. When our anger causes us to sin. You see, we resolve all of our anger by the end of the day. The Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And I'm gonna give you a tip that will absolutely revolutionize your marriage. Don't ever go to bed angry. That's what this says. There have been, my wife and I have lived by this for the last nearly two decades. We don't go to bed if we're angry with each other. That doesn't mean, tell them I'll call them back. So my pastor's super busy right now. He'll call you right back. My wife and I made a decision a long time ago. We're not gonna go to bed angry. What that doesn't mean is that every night by 9.30, we're all happy to hunky-dory and we go to bed. It means sometimes we've stayed up till four or five o'clock in the morning hashing out some issues because we're not gonna go to bed angry. Because when we take today's problems and we carry them into tomorrow, and we don't resolve them there, we take tomorrow's problems and we carry it into the next day. And here before you know it, we got weeks, months, sometimes years I've counseled people that never got their anger resolved and it's turned into bitterness. 
and discouragement and frustration. And the Bible says when you do that, you leave the door cracked for the devil to gain a foothold in your life. And you can't afford it and I can't either. So we resolve all of our problems by the end of the day. If I'm mad at someone or something, it gets sorted out before I go to bed. Simple as that. We don't allow our problems to drag on. All of our anger has an expiration date. Otherwise, you turn into being an angry person. We've all been around angry people before because they never resolved it. We, some of us have been that angry person before who we have a deep-seated anger inside of us or something that happened a long time ago that we don't give over to God and you don't want to be a bitter person. It will destroy you. I promise you that. So our anger has an expiration date. It gets sorted out by the end of the day. Next, verse 28. We're givers, not takers. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good they may have to give to him that needeth. It was common in in Paul's day that people who didn't have jobs and uh, were struggling to make ends meet, they would steal to to cover uh, food. They would steal to cover their uh, expenses or the things that they needed or a place to stay. And Paul says, we're not gonna live like that anymore. Other people might do that, that's not us. We're gonna do the right thing. And he that stole, you're not gonna steal anymore, but you're gonna get a job. And your job that you have is not for you, it's to give to other people because we're givers, not takers. We live in a world today where people want stuff for themselves. We live in a society today where people don't wanna work for what they need, they'd rather take it from someone else. We've created a society in America today, and this is not a political statement. We've created a society that says, if you don't want to work, that's okay. We'll take really good care of you until you decide that you want to work, or maybe we'll just take care of you for the rest of your life. And we've turned out a a generation of people who want all the stuff, they just don't want to work for it. Hey, maybe I can take out a credit card and buy stuff that I can't afford. Maybe I can take out a loan to buy a card that I can't afford. Uh, maybe uh, I can get on a government program that'll pay for me to go to college so I don't actually have to pay to go to college. And I'm not talking about people who are in a legitimate bad spot that need a leg up. I'm talking about people who just don't want to work. Paul says, that's not us. We're not gonna take things that don't belong to us. We're actually gonna be the givers, not the takers. You see, we no longer allow our past to define us, but Jesus defines us. Verse 28, he starts off and says, let him that stole steal no more. Hey, I don't care who you are or where you came from. I don't care what you were involved with before you knew Jesus, before you were walking with Jesus. That's over and done. We're shutting the book on that and we're starting a new book following Jesus. And whatever you did in the past is in the past. You get a fresh lease on life with Jesus alone. And whatever you've done in the past is over and done with. It's in the past. It's under the blood of Jesus. We're moving on from here. So whatever you were involved with before doesn't matter. You're moving on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19 says, No, you're not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hey, we used to be a pretty rotten crowd, you and me, before we started walking with Jesus. Hey, there were some things that we did that we were not proud of before we started walking with Jesus. Hey, there's some things that we need to make right now that we're walking with Jesus. And I'm thankful that God's forgiveness is enough. 
The Bible says that when God forgives our sin, he takes our sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. It's over and done with in God's mind. And whatever's in your past should stay there in your past. But we're givers, not takers. We live for others, not ourselves. Notice he doesn't say in this passage, you need to get a job and make sure that you're well taken care of. No, he says, you need to get a job so you can take care of other people. You need to get a job so that you can live for others and invest in the lives of others. This is not about you. Again, when we look at the Christian life as far as what we can get from it, we're looking at it from the wrong paradigm. The Christian life isn't what I can get from Jesus. The Christian life is what can I give for Jesus. It's not about how can Jesus make my life better, but it's how can my life share Jesus better. It's not about me. And so I don't use my work as a way to enrich myself. I use my work as an opportunity to be able to serve others. Next, we work to raise our standard of giving, not our standard of living. Hey, I'm just trying to find out how I can give back more to Jesus. I'm trying to find out how I can have a bigger impact in other people's lives. I'm trying to find out how I can take the days that I have left on planet Earth and make them count for something that's gonna last long after I'm gone. I'm not trying to get the next big house. I'm not trying to get a nicer car. I'm not trying to take a more extravagant vacation. I'm not trying to get better clothes. I'm not trying to get a a piece of jewelry. I'm trying to live my life in a way that would honor and please God and point as many people as I can to him. You say, well, did you always live like that? Nope, I didn't. You see, I accepted Christ when I was nine, but I didn't start walking with Jesus until I was probably in my mid-20s. There was a period of time between 18 and, and 24 or so that I was living for me and what I could get out of it. I wanted more. I wanted more stuff. I wanted more money. I wanted more status. I wanted success. I wanted what the world had to offer. I'm telling you this, there's nothing there. You'll be bankrupt every single time. But when I found walking with Jesus, everything in my life changed. Everything. Everything. And there's nothing in this world that would hold me back from wanting to do more for Jesus. And now, thankfully, I have, I have the best job in the world. I get to tell people about Jesus and how the Bible can help them fix their life problems. This is like as good as it gets. This is my dream job. Not because I make a lot of money or because I have a lot of status, because I'm in my place where God has put me to make the largest impact with my life. For you, you cannot find your, your fulfillment and satisfaction in life based on your position or your pay or anything else. You have to be where God wants you to be to make the greatest impact that you can with your life. When you do that, you'll find the good life that Jesus talks of. But if you're living life for yourself, you'll be disappointed every single time. Next, verse number 29, we keep our hearts clean so our words are clean. verse number 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying the word edifying means to be built up that it may minister grace unto the hearers you see we protect our heart because it's the source of our words Bible says in Proverbs 4.23 keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good an evil man out of his evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil for the, out of, for the, of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Did you know that the words that come out of your mouth are just the overflow of what's going on in your heart? When your heart fills up to the point that it, it hits the brim, what comes out over the top is the contents of your heart. 
I've been around people before uh, who, you know, I talk with them and they say, what kind of work do you do? I say, well, I'm a pastor. And that's, if you ever want to get out of a conversation, this is a good line to pull. And I'm a pastor. People don't want to talk to you after that. Every now and then people stick around, they'll talk for a little bit and they might let a curse word slip or something like that. And they go, oh, pastor, I'm not sure where that came from. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I know exactly where it came from. It came from here. This is not a foreign word to you. This is not something that you've never said before. It's in your heart already. That's why it came out of your mouth. So you and I have to keep our hearts clean so that our words are clean. Because if my heart's dirty, the words that are going to come out of my mouth are going to be dirty. But if I have a clean heart fixed on Christ, the words that come out, those are going to be good words. So we have to protect our heart because that's the source of our words. Next, we don't tolerate filthy talk, dirty jokes, or inappropriate remarks. We just don't. It grieves me to hear pastors curse from the pulpit. Did you know that that's a thing? It's embarrassing. It's shameful. I've heard pastors make sexual innuendo, sexual references in a joking way from the pulpit. It's not a joke. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. We don't tolerate it. We don't laugh at dirty jokes. We don't laugh at racist talk. Why? Because we're different. We're held to a higher standard. This is our code of conduct that we live by. We don't tolerate stuff like this. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in public school. I rode the bus. I knew every curse word that there was under the sun by the time I was in second grade, I believe. And everybody used it on the bus. And as a, as a young Christian kid, I knew how to turn it on and turn it off when I needed to. But it became very duplicitous. And then I joined uh, the Navy out of high school. And if you've ever heard the, the colloquialism, curse like a sailor, they come by it rightly. Um, and they, they got some, some rough mouths on them, I tell you. And that became more of a part of my life. And I, I had a filthy, filthy mouth. But when I decided that I really wanted to start walking with Jesus and I wanted to be a good example for my kids to follow, I had to shut that off. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't an overnight thing. But I had to allow God's word to change my heart so that it would change the words that I used. And so now I have a different vocabulary than I did before I was walking with Jesus. Because I made a commitment a long time ago to check my heart. You know what I found? I found that the more that I watched R-rated movies and filthy, uh, listened to filthy music, that those words just came naturally in my speech. But now when I hear someone use the F word, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's just like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. When I hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain and use it in, in correlation with a curse word, it just like takes my breath away. I can't believe that people actually talk like that. But there was a day where that was just me. That's, what, that's who I was. That's how I talked. But I had to allow God to change me. And I want to encourage you with this today. If you're looking through this list and you're going, yeah, I struggle with anger. Yeah, I struggle with the way that I talk. Yeah, I struggle in these areas. Make a commitment today to walk with Jesus and allow him to change you. That's what this is about. This is not a list that you look at and you go, oh, I'm such a loser. I'll never be a follower of Christ. No, today's your opportunity to say, hey, I've got some areas that this is where I need to work on. These are some areas that God needs to change in me. Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse number four says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You see, we, we watch what we say and we don't, we don't we watch what other people say too. And let me just tell you this, Christian, in the Christian life, there's no room for racism whatsoever, period, end of story. It's not funny. It's not a joke. 
God has created all people 100% equal. You're not better than anybody else based on where you were born, where you were raised, or the color of your skin. If you ever begin to think differently, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. And if I ever, ever catch wind of somebody saying something inappropriately or racially insensitive in this church, let me just tell you this, you're gonna hear from me personally about it because it has no place in God's church. Unfortunately, people have called me before and said, hey, pastor, uh, you know, I'm black and my uh, wife's white. Is it okay if we come to your church? Why would you even have to ask that question? Why does that even come up? You know why? Because they had a negative experience somewhere else. Folks, that can't be. Does it happen in churches? It does, unfortunately, but it's not gonna happen here. I promise you that. Hey, I, I grew up in the South and I saw my share of racism firsthand and I want no part of it. God's people are better than that. We've been delivered from more than that. Hey, and if you, if you wanna be, again, people who want to be, you know, white superiorist Christians and stuff like that, your savior is a Jew. Think about that for a second. I'm gonna put some, have somebody put you in your place. Our savior is a Jew. There's no place for racism. The Bible says there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek. We're one in Christ now. There's one race and it is the human race. It has no place in Christianity whatsoever. Next, we use our words to build up, not tear down. Verse 29 says we use our words to the use of edifying. The word edify means to be built up. We as Christ's followers, we as disciples recognize the power and significance of our words. One of the biggest lies we tell our kids, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You're a liar. <laughs> the first thing we talk about, stop lying. Words hurt. Every single person in this room can look back at a time in your life where someone said something hurtful to you that you remember to this day. Because words are hurtful. That's why we have to choose our words carefully. That's why anger cannot rule our words because we'll say things that we regret. We'll say things that are damaging. We'll say things that will tear down. And if you have children, you have the responsibility to build your children up, not tear them down. Hey, look, everybody else is gonna tear your kids down. You should build them up. Our daughter, Makili, she's in uh, fourth grade this year. And uh, Makili in her, her first grade year was diagnosed with dyslexia. And at four, if in fourth grade now, she reads at probably about a first grade level or so. She has enough kids at school that tell her that she's dumb and she's stupid and she doesn't know how to read. She doesn't need her parents to get frustrated too. Hey, my kids, my boys have made a commitment to God that they're gonna keep themselves sexually pure until the day that they get married. They don't need other people. They don't need their own dad turning them down because the rest of the world will take care of that for them. Their dad needs to be the one building them up and encouraging them. Hey, I'm proud of you. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Do I need to reprimand my kids? Absolutely. But I do it in love, in a way that builds them up, not tears them down. My wife, my spouse, she needs encouragement. I, it's my job, my God-given responsibility to build her up with my words. Hey, I could tear her down, she could tear me down. We, we've lived together for nearly two decades. We know what pushes each other's buttons, but we choose to build up instead of tear down. Why? Because that's what our words do. The Bible says that our words may minister grace unto the hearers, that people enjoy hearing us talk because we're always building people up. Have you been around people like that before who just the more that you're around them, you feel better because it's just overall good folks. The more you spend time with them, the more that you're encouraged. I wanna be around people like that, but more than that, I wanna be that guy. People say, I really enjoy hanging around Anthony. He, he always got an encouraging word. Have you ever been around those people, though, that are so negative about everything under the sun that you, the more you spend time with them, you just hate life because everything's terrible? 
I don't want to be around those people, and I definitely don't want to be that person. I want my words to build up. We choose our words to build up and to show grace with our words. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. They didn't have uh, banana runts or hot tamales back then. They had honeycombs, right? And he says, good words are like sweet candy. Oh, man. Your words can change everything in the world. Fellas, I'll give you a challenge this week. You want to encourage your wife, get a, a, post, a thing of post-it notes. Post-it notes. Write something nice on a post-it note once a day. Leave it somewhere around the house. See what happens. It'll change your life. And if, you don't, if you're lazy and you don't want to go to the store and get post-it notes, send a text message with a cute emoji once a day. There you go. Just once. Use your words to build up, not tear down. It'll change your life. Next, and finally this morning, we purge our heart of destructive emotions and allow Jesus' kindness to flow through us. Verses 31 through 32 talk about that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Take all that negative rubbish and set it to the side. I'm done with it. I'm over with it. I'm not going to allow myself to be ruled by these things any longer. And verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, we know that bitterness destroys, so we choose to forgive. What if they haven't asked for forgiveness? I'm going to forgive them anyways. What if they've done is so terrible I can't forgive it? Hmm. That's why it says at the end of this, you should forgive the way that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If, is there anything you've ever done against God that was so bad he probably shouldn't forgive it? Yeah, me too. And God says he gave it, forgave it anyways. So when people do you wrong, don't let bitterness rule you. I choose to forgive instead. Next, we affirm that life is too short to be an angry person. I know that I don't have a lot of time left on this earth. I know that the Bible says that life is like a vapor. It appears for a short while and vanishes away, and my days are numbered. Hey, folks, you might be planning my funeral by next Sunday. I don't know, but I do know this. If my time on this earth is so short, I'm not going to live it angry. Life's too short to be angry. Hey, if I've only got seven more days on this earth, I want to be good days, not angry days. Hey, if I've only got six more months to live in this life, I want to live every day that I can and squeeze every last drop out of every day to make it the most that it should be. I don't have time to be angry. I don't have time to be bitter. We refuse to allow ourselves to be governed by our flesh. I'm not going to let my flesh and my emotions run the show anymore. I've done that for far too long. I'm changing now. I'm going to let the mind of Christ, and I'm going to let Christ's love in me change every relationship that I have in the world. I'm not going to be run by my flesh any longer. Finally, we'll allow grace, kindness, mercy, and love of Jesus to rule all we think, say, and do. I'm just going to try to live every day like Jesus did. Oh, Jesus had people do him wrong. He had people stab him in the back. He had people uh, negatively try to impact his life. You know what he did? He just kept on going and loving people. And I'm going to try to do the same myself. Our ushers have got to. Ushers, could you guys grab those handouts that I have for you here tonight, this morning? Taking the code of the disciple and put it on a sheet of paper for you that I'm going to hand out to you. And you can take it home and put it on your fridge. This is just how we live our lives. Let's take a look at these by way of review. First of all, we speak the truth because lies are more destructive. 
We're in control of our anger. It doesn't cause us to sin. We're givers, not takers. Keep our hearts clean so our words are clean. Use our words to build up, not tear down. We purge our heart of destructive emotions and allow Jesus' kindness to flow through us. I'm telling you this. You do these things, you'll be different. You do these things, you'll stand out. You do these things, you'll be better and the people around you will be better. Again, notice every single one of these is relational in nature. It changes the relationships that you have with other people. That's what God wants for you. But you see, you can't do these things on your own. You look at this list, it's a tall order for anybody to do by themselves. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit at work inside of you can make the changes necessary. God working through you and through his word along with the Holy Spirit can make it happen in your life if you're willing to allow him to. The most important thing in the world here is if you're here today and you don't know for sure when you die, heaven's your home. You're not 100% certain that your sins are forgiven. Please don't leave here until you know that for sure. Let me tell you this. If you're not a child of God, you cannot complete the things on this list. You just can't because they're not things that we can do on our own. If you're here today as a child of God, you might try to live your life in a positive way only to die and be separated from God forever. You don't want that either. Today is the day for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you, and he's the only way to heaven. Find your hope in him. For those of us that would call ourselves children of God today, we'd say we're saved, we're born again. This is the way we live our lives now. Oh, we're going to mess up. We're going to slip up here and there, but we're changed. We're different. We're not the way that we used to be. We put off the old man. We've been renewed in our mind, and we're now living the new life that God's called us to. And it's going to change the people around us because every one of these are relational. As you look at this list, I hope you found some areas that you're deficient. I found some myself. These are the things that I'm going to work towards this week with God's help because God is faithful, and he's able to help us in those areas.